0: Hi, this is Grace, and welcome to part two of my discussion with Tim Van Orden on professionalism. I'm really excited to be bringing you the conclusion of this series today. So for those of you who may not have caught part one, I'm going to go ahead and link it below, so be sure to check that out. And we're going to go ahead and play a little bit of the original intro, just to get you guys back in the swing of the conversation, and then we're going to go straight into part two. Wake up, sweetheart. this is Grace. So I'm here today with Tim Van Orden from the YouTube channel Running Raw. Tim is one of my favorite creators. He always has something interesting to talk about. And recently he posted a video about professionalism in the workplace. And specifically, should you bring emotion into the workplace? And You know, how how does that function? What does that look like? And, you know, is that really the healthy thing for people to do? So we're going to expand on that a little bit today and talk about topics around that. And I'm super excited that he invited me to speak with him today. And I think that we're going to have a really interesting conversation. So let me uh, let Tim say a little bit about himself. Take it away, Tim.
1: Hi, Grace. So the reason that I'm inviting you into this conversation today or asking you to be a part of this conversation is that I think there is a a culture of what most people call professionalism that is unhealthy to the individuals in that culture, regardless of how effective the business might be. And I know this is a field or a space that you work in. And your goal is to eventually transition entirely into the world of YouTube and leave that world behind. And I think many (laughs) of the issues that you deal with on a daily basis are part of why we're having this conversation. So I thought uh, it'd be great to have you in this discussion.
2: Mm -hmm. I think
1: in the comments on the video that I posted, something that was coming up a lot is I think there's a misunderstanding of the term emotions Versus what I call narrative. Okay. Uh, there's having emotions, being an emotional being, you are, whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whether you know it or not. Right. And then there's having a narrative about those emotions or about your mm-hmm. feelings and about how yeah. they relate, just like the judge who, mm-hmm. with a rumbly stomach and a sore butt, looks at the person in front of them and says, that person doesn't deserve parole.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because of how they're feeling. So now their Mm -hmm. brain, whether they're aware of it or not, has come up with a story, a narrative, about that person being unworthy of parole.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So if you understand that you have emotions, if you understand that you have affect or feelings, and you also understand that you have an engine in your brain, it's actually over here if you're Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) right-handed, that is going to create narratives. It's going to create stories about these feelings, and it's going to Mm -hmm. apply them to your environment. There must be something in my environment that is causing me to feel this way. Let me make sense of it. And even if it's not in in my environment presently, let me imagine what happened yesterday or what happened outside Mm -hmm. a moment ago or what happened in the meeting I just came from. Mm
0: -hmm. So our
1: brain is coming up with stories like, okay, I don't feel good. I feel put upon i there's a a sense of injustice what is it and your brain starts Mm -hmm. churning and churning and churning to come up with a story to make sense of why you feel what you feel Mm -hmm. so there's a huge difference between the narrative and the emotion or the feeling right so for instance you're having a rough day okay well there's Mm -hmm. feelings like what does it feel like to have a rough day i'm tired Uh, for instance my Mm -hmm back is aching I think I did too many squats the other day with a heavy feed mm-hmm. bag on my back so I'm, <laughs> I'm having some issues or maybe it was the the hedge trimmer in the blueberry orchard I don't know it doesn't matter <laughs> but today I'm tired and I have this achy stiffness in my back those are feelings right. what do I do with those feelings that's a narrative uh, another example is I know you live uh, somewhere in the, um, the southern part of the country so mm-hmm. you deal with heat all the time.
0: Ugh, yes. <laughs> um, I live
1: in Vermont and we're having a heat wave right now where it's going to be in the mm-hmm. mid-90s for almost an oh. entire week. And it's incredibly humid.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So you've got the heat and you've got how that makes you feel. And then you've got mm-hmm. the story about the heat. So everywhere I go, the only conversation that you're hearing is the heat. Oh, my God, can't go outside today. Oh, my God, can't do this. Oh, my God, can't mow the lawn. The grass is going to die. Oh, my God, can't. And there's a story about Mm
2: -hmm. heat Mm -hmm.
1: rather than just I feel hot. Like right now in my studio, the air conditioning's off. I am sweating bullets. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that a proper term, sweating bullets? I don't know.
0: I think so. I, I am doing the same thing on my side because my AC is also yeah. off.
1: <laughs> so I can make a story about that. And I, I can say, you know what? I can't have this call right now. I can't do this. It's so hot. Mm-hmm. And I can start mm-hmm. telling the story or I can just be hot and have the conversation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can be hot and mow the lawn. Yeah, I'm mowing the lawn. Yeah. It doesn't feel great, but I'm mowing the lawn. Big deal. Yeah. I still have the feeling. I can still have the emotion. So you can bring your emotions to work. You can bring your feelings to work. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you can't get rid of them. You can try to suppress them. You can try to medicate them. You can try to distract yourself, but they're still there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, bringing the narrative to work is a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you could cry at work. That's fine. That's an emotion. Go ahead and cry. But Mm -hmm. the moment that you start telling everybody why you're crying and you go into the long story of, oh, my God, he did this or she did that or da-da-da-da, well, that's different. That's a narrative now. Mm -hmm. And that's where people get stuck in these cycles. But simply being at work and crying, being at work and not feeling good, great. Just let everybody know, hey, Mm -hmm. um, I'm emotional today, just to let you know, Mm -hmm. but I don't need to talk about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a little bit slower than normal. So Mm -hmm. there you go.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I think I think one of the I think one of the things that happens and you and I have kind of talked about this before is learning how to be okay with not being okay. Yeah,
1: exactly. And learning yep.
0: learning how to be okay with the people around you not being okay.
1: Yeah, not trying um, to fix them or fix yourself for them.
0: Exactly. Just let it be whatever it is. You know, feel it, recognize it. And just let it be. Um, And I think that that is really foreign to most people. I know it was really foreign to me. Um, And it's something that I still struggle with um, because, you know, I I feel responsible for the people around me because I'm a caretaker. Um, And, you know, I feel responsible also, you know, for myself and... I'm learning how to do that, and it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable at first, yeah. um, but then you just have to keep doing it and keep doing it, and you know, and pretty soon, you know, you're like, okay, I'm starting to get this.
1: <laughs> well, and see, there when you say it's really uncomfortable at first, that's the mm-hmm. narrative, that's the mm. story. That's okay. that part of your brain, observing the fact that you're in the midst of discomfort and saying, I don't like being in discomfort. I don't want mm-hmm. to be in discomfort. I don't accept mm-hmm. being, in, this is not okay that I'm in discomfort. <laughs> see, that's the narrative engine working. And it's, it's going to do that. Mm-hmm. And see, one of the things that I teach, and I think this would be so useful if people learn this at an early age,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we were told that we have a brain or a head. You know, there's the head, yeah. there's the heart, mm-hmm. as we mm-hmm. mentioned before. But this idea of the head or the brain is really misleading, because the brain is made up of many different regions. You could consider them each mm-hmm. a different organ.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They lead to, uh, you know, control of the body, control of thought, language, etc., action, intention. But they they go about it in so many different ways, and you could think of your brain like you could think of a car. You've got a gas pedal in your brain. You've got brakes in your brain. You've got a backseat driver in your brain. You've got an (laughs) autopilot or cruise control in your brain. You've got all these different systems in your brain that drive you. And what people don't realize is depending on what you're going through, depending on what's just happened to you, combined with your history and your genetics, Different parts of your brain are going to come online and start driving your behavior and your thoughts and your language. Mm -hmm. So once you start to tease this apart, you can see that, oh, okay, that part of my brain is running the show right now. That's not Mm -hmm. me. That's one part of my brain thinking, or my brain got together and said, all right, Based on the stimulus and based on our past history, we think this part of the brain should take over right now. And they let Mm -hmm. that part of the brain take over and the blood goes preferentially to that part of the brain and the others get down regulated. When the situation changes, the brain's like, okay, I think now it's more appropriate if these parts of the brain take over and now blood goes to those and they come online and they're like, oh, now we can see the world differently. Now we're going to have different Mm -hmm. conversations. Just okay. like the judge. When you're mm-hmm. hungry, certain parts of the brain are taking over. When you're mm-hmm. satisfied, other parts of the brain take over. Okay. So we, it's like having rooms in a house. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a bathroom, you got a kitchen, you got a bedroom, you got a living room. You move into different rooms and different things happen in those rooms.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's not you having a bad day. It's There's feeling in my body, and because there's feeling in my body, certain brain regions are likely to be dominant, but that's not me.
0: So that's really interesting. So um, this kind of goes back to, and this blew me away when I heard you say this for the first time, that <clears throat> whenever you have a kind of the fight or flight response, yeah. that... The blood moves away from the decision-making part of your brain, what the front part? Well,
1: it moves away from um, the deliberative part of the brain. Okay. Your brain okay. is still making decisions, but not consciously right. in deliberation.
0: Right. So um, the same thing is happening when you have other emotions as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All yeah.
1: All emotions. Okay. Like we've categorized in the West, negative emotions and positive mm-hmm. emotions. In fact, right. that was a comment that I got on my video that you need to keep your negative emotions out of the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I saw it's, that it's one. okay to bring mm-hmm. in positive emotions, but you've got to keep the negative ones out. Right. Your brain cool. doesn't distinguish; they're all useful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, even in Buddhism, like the Dalai Lama is beginning to update his belief and his philosophy and practice because in Buddhism. Let me try that again. In Buddhism, (laughs) they have what they call the afflictive emotions. Okay. Like anger, hatred, greed, Mm -hmm. lust. These are afflictive. They are afflictions that consume you. And instead, you Mm -hmm. should focus on happiness and bliss and love and compassion. Mm -hmm. But as the Dalai Lama talks to more and more neuroscientists and cognitive psychologists, he's learning that all emotions are equally valid. And it's really neat to see him update how he talks about compassion Mm -hmm. um, because he's starting to learn that there is no such thing as an afflictive emotion. Emotion is emotion. Your Mm -hmm. brain doesn't distinguish. It's not like anger is bad for us. No, anger is really useful in certain situations. Mm -hmm. Love is really useful in certain situations and Mm -hmm. terrible in others where anger is more appropriate. Right, right. So it's just a matter of our brain interpreting the world through the lens of our genes and our past experience and then loading Mm -hmm. a particular module based on uh, its experience. Like, oh, I think this module is the most appropriate one. Mm -hmm. But our brains don't understand this crazy corporate avoidant world Mm -hmm. uh, of head and not heart. They don't don't know what to do there. So everybody's functioning at a subpar level. Oh, and here's another huge piece. If you read the work of John Rady, who wrote the book Spark, Mm -hmm. or any of the researchers that are looking at the effect of physical exercise on cognition, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: no one, not a single human being on the planet is functioning at a normal level of brain function if you're sitting. Really? So your brain is not even at normal levels of activity if you are sitting. You are essentially uh, in a a subpar uh, experience as you sit at work. Your brain is below normal function. So oh, you are handicapped very the entire <laughs> yeah. time. So we have so many important decisions being made around wow. the world by people that mm-hmm. are forced to be avoidant and their brains mm-hmm. are op- uh, operating at a uh, below normal uh, state of function.
0: Wow. That's, that's shocking. That's really shocking. It's
1: frightening. And you wonder why we have such craziness out there. So going back to the why, why are you engaged in this business? What (laughs) are you creating? What do you get? You know, you, through your advertising, it seems like you care more about the consumer than the people that work here, Mm -hmm. but you don't, you just want the consumer to get hooked. So there's really no care anywhere. It's all just, it's false care. It's pseudo care. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but we we live in a broken system, yeah. And very we, much so. we can't just get rid of it and replace it wholesale. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. Right. Uh, we just have to make minor tweaks, plant little Trojan horses here and there, and hopefully <laughs> they they disseminate out into the business world. Um, I'm not yeah. a fan of completely overthrowing the system. That doesn't work. No, um, they've tried no, it throughout history, and it goes horribly wrong.
0: <laughs> well, because. The system isn't the issue, the humans behind it are the issue. So, yeah. unless you change the humans, it doesn't matter what system you put into place, it's always going to end up in the same spot. Yeah. Yeah, if you read Karl Marx uh, when he was mm-hmm. developing
1: the idea of communism. Mm-hmm. It was a utopian society. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't have to be a slave to one job. Like, okay, we're going to harvest grain. Then we're going to play for a little bit. Then we're going to make some art. And then we're going to go do something with the cows. Oh, and then we're going to work on a house. And we get to do whatever we want throughout the day because we're not forced Mm -hmm. into this industrialist, capitalist, must-produce X number of widgets. Like, no, it's about quality of life. So he imagined this and he said, wow, if we're not so desperate to have this abundance and so scared Mm -hmm. of uh, scarcity, then we could actually function together in this really wonderful, caring, fun, playful ethos. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: What he didn't realize was that people didn't want to let go of what they had. They didn't want to let go. So he (laughs) said, well, I guess we're going to have to bring in, well, not Marx, but Lenin, and the mm-hmm. other Bolsheviks, well, we're going to have to bring in some thugs to make,
2: mm.
1: to make people do this. And then they'll learn to like it. Then they'll realize, oh, my God, yeah, this is so much better. You're right.
2: right.
1: But in order to get them to change, we have to bring in some thugs. We have to bring in Stalin. Yeah. Um, we have to bring in a human being who's highly problematic. That's the only mm-hmm. way to get people to be compassionate towards each other is through
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, authoritarian, evil, violent, dictator. Yeah. Um, because people wouldn't naturally embrace it. They didn't naturally want it. It had to be forced on them. Right. Um, it's
0: kind of interesting. I just had a thought when you were talking about all that about the cyclical nature of um, kind of our consumerist society that we've set up, this consumerist system we've set up. Mm-hmm. So we have the ad agencies that are, you know, actively trying to create more demand, more demand, more demand, Yeah, which means that the companies have to ramp up to supply more and supply more and supply more, right? So it's this this constant cycle of, you know, creating more demand, creating more consumers, which means there has to be more supply, which means the companies have to get bigger and bigger and bring in more people and become more detached, more standardized, you know, and it just goes around and around and around. Um, And yeah, it's like, how do you break that cycle? How do you, you know, get people kind of away from that mindset?
1: Well, especially considering that most of our needs in the Western world are met and then some. Yeah. Like we've gone way beyond meeting the needs Mm -hmm. of the average person. Now, there are some parts of the world that that is not the case, but here. Correct. Our needs are met again and again and again, a thousand times a day beyond what (laughs) we need. And yet we still have this thing like, I got to keep going. I got to keep making money. I need more. I need to buy. I need to have stuff.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So until we can help people learn to be okay with that, Mm -hmm. um, little by little, because you just, you don't want to overturn the system all at once, but teaching people how to be okay. Like, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling discomfort right now. I'm, having mm-hmm. some challenges, but I don't need to fill it with a product. Yeah. Because ultimately, if people are mentally healthy and people are not trying to medicate themselves with products or consumption,
2: mm-hmm. they're not
1: going to need as much money. So mm-hmm. therefore, they're not going to be as eager to work as hard, mm-hmm. and the system mm-hmm. will suffer. Um, but it's something you have to do slowly. Because yeah. if you do that yeah. too quickly, then suddenly the whole system collapses and people are out of work and there's chaos and now that's even worse. Right.
0: right. And that just makes things worse because then people <clears> have, you know, some really even more emotions and more need for filling those holes. Yeah. Um,
1: Bigger yeah, holes. So, yeah, that
0: doesn't work. No. Mm.
1: <laughs> so getting back to the beginning mm. of this conversation, mm-hmm. um, emotions in the workplace versus narratives – What have Mm. you seen, and how would you counsel someone? You've worked in management, so what do you do if someone shows up to work and they're emotional versus they've Mm. got a story that they just won't shut up about? What have you done in the past?
0: Um, This has always been a bit of a challenge for me. It's one of the areas that I kind of struggle with when I moved into management. Um, I got a lot better at it when I was in the HR field because I was dealing with it all the time, and I had a little bit of licensed to be more compassionate in that role. Um, Because, you know, HR is supposed to be the place where people come with their problems, right? And you're supposed to be able to help them. Um, But I've always been one to shut down the narrative. Um, Yours or theirs? (laughs) (laughs) Both. (laughs) Um, Because, yeah, I, you know, I, I was taught that you were supposed to behave a certain way in the workplace. I had professional certificates and designations, and I was a member of professional societies that told me that I was required to act this certain way. And, you know, I would always kind of encourage people to, you know, basically stow it. Um, And that's very unhealthy. Stoic. (laughs) Yeah you know, I'm really sorry that you're having this issue. If you need to take Mm -hmm. some time off, then let's go ahead and get you some time off. But, you know, if you're going to be here, you need to be focused and you need to be able to work. Um, You know, so it was either get it together and you can stay or, you know, leave and get it together on your own time and then come back. But you're only going to have a very short period of time to do that. We're only going to allow you a certain period of time to do that. And if you still can't get it together, well, then you're just going to have to move on. Yeah. Um, And that's, awful. That's horrible. That was a horrible way to treat people. Um, you know, I and I knew in the moment that it was horrible, but I thought that's just the way it is. Like, this is how you are you have to be professional and we have to hold people to a certain standard and if they can't meet it, then this is just not the right place for them. Um,
1: and and that's, that's true. It isn't the
0: right place yeah, for them. Right. It's not, yeah. it's not the right place for any of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, As I've, over the last few years, you know, I've kind of been going on this emotional journey myself. I've had a lot of things happening in my personal life that, um, you know, really took me to places that I had never been before. And I really got to sit in other people's shoes and reflect back on a lot of these conversations or experiences that I had had and think, Oh my gosh! This is what that person was feeling, or this is kind of what I would imagine they were feeling in that moment. And you know, I can't believe that that's how I responded. Like that's just awful. Yeah. Um, so I've I've become more and more um, interested in the people that I'm actually working with and getting to know who they are as people and feeling like that was okay. Um, you know, trying to understand my employees like when they are having emotions at work or you know they are kind of rolling around in a narrative um you know obviously you you have to keep your team productive and you can't let like conflicts happen you know you can't have employees arguing and fighting with each other um you know because it's that's not pleasant for anyone um yeah. and it's not productive either you know and it's it's not going to solve anything Um, so, you know, I like to sit down and I like to talk and I'm not afraid anymore to ask questions. I think that that's really a great tool in my toolbox as a supervisor, as a manager is to just ask questions, say, you know, Hey, I, I noticed that, you know, you're, something seems off with you today. Like, what's going on? Do you want to talk about it? You know, and we just go in a room and we talk and, you know, I think that it's really helped me with discipline issues. Mm -hmm. Because I can actually have a conversation now and say, you know, instead of just saying, you know, well, you can't do this and stop doing it and don't do it again. I'm trying to figure out what's going on behind it and give them an opportunity to really talk and feel like they have a safe space and that I'm not going to, you know, jump down their throat. Um, And I think that's a, a big part of it is just helping them to feel like you're giving them a safe space because... Most people don't feel safe with their supervisors yeah, um, or with their managers or with their executive leadership because, you know, they feel like if I show weakness, if I say that I made a mistake, if I screwed up, you know, I can't admit it or I have to, you know, try to blame it on somebody else because I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. And I'm trying to let my employees know, you know, hey, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Um, You know. Sometimes a mistake happens, and we've got to make sure that never happens again. So how can we do that? But I try to always keep in my mind now that people really have the best intentions. People want to do a good job. And if they're there, they're there for a reason. And if they've been there for a long time, there's a reason why they've stayed with that company for a long time. And this job is important to them. And I need to respect that and take that into consideration and really treat it holistically instead of just, you did this one bad thing, and, you know, that means you're an idiot, and you obviously did it on purpose, and, you know, you're obviously going to do it every time in the future from now on, so you're fired. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that way anymore. You bring
1: up a, an interesting point that I think relates to our family dynamics in American culture right now. Mm -hmm. That if we go back to attachment theory and secure versus the two types of insecure attachment, what you just described to me right now is a recipe for developing avoidant attachment or at least triggering avoidant attachment Mm -hmm. or avoidant tendencies, I should say. So if a caregiver, your supervisor, your manager, Mm -hmm. the person that is really there to make sure that you do a good job, Mm -hmm. if that person is looking at you like a hawk and saying, if you screw up, you're out of here. And I'm measuring you every second of the day. And if you fail to measure up, you're gone. Mm -hmm. There are parents like that. yeah. And those parents create children that are avoidantly attached. Those kids Mm -hmm. do not connect and they become adults that do not connect. And they're Mm -hmm. really good as CEOs and managers because they don't attach, they don't engage, they're dispassioned. Um, And it's one of the reasons that men in the dating pool have such a bad reputation because secure men get into relationships early and they stay in them, so they rarely come into the dating pool. The ambivalent or anxious men are frightened, so they rarely approach women. So the guys that women have the most interaction with in the dating pool are avoidant men. Uh, Who are separated from their feelings, they're separated from your feelings, they don't really need Mm -hmm. you, but they want to play with you. They want to do things with you. But the moment it gets close, they're going to pull away. So Mm -hmm. they're overrepresented in the dating pool. And they're also overrepresented as CEOs and people in higher management that are not afraid to tell you to get the hell out of here if you don't measure up.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, They have no problem letting you go.
0: Right. Turning uh, yeah. their
1: back on you because you really you don't have value. You're just something to play with in the moment mm-hmm. because they never let themselves get close enough to you for you to actually matter in their lives. Right. So going back to that, uh, it it might simply be that much of our corporate culture. Also, you see a uh, sociopathy um, mm-hmm. overrepresented in CEOs. Yes. Um, There's a much, much greater percentage of sociopaths in the CEO pool than there is in the regular Mm -hmm. population. Because again, they're fearless. They're not afraid to do what they need to do to make the business succeed. Even if everybody gets thrown under the bus, they don't care.
2: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Um, So they can make those decisions. You see this with generals, people that make it to the rank of general as well. There's a much greater Mm -hmm. degree of sociopathy. Um oh,
0: so slightly terrifying. <laughs> it's
1: terrifying, but, you know, it's effective. And there's a reason yeah,
0: yeah, that is.
1: the sociopathic brain keeps being made. It stays in the mm-hmm. gene pool because it's effective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you look at evolutionary biology, you need different people with different types of brains because they each bring a different skill set. And having a few sociopaths in your tribe
2: mm-hmm. helped
1: your tribe survive because they were fearless. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and true. they
1: did what needed to be done when nobody else wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's like, you know, correct. <laughs> but they're, they're CEOs, they're managers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you happen to have somebody mm-hmm. that's also avoidant. So we're training people that you're not safe. We don't want you to develop a secure attachment with this organization mm-hmm. or anyone that works here. Right. We want right. you to know your place and it's not secure. So the entire time people are at the workplace, they're feeling insecure. They have an insecure attachment with their coworkers, and so therefore there's this this underlying anxiety that pervades Mm -hmm. the day. How many people love to go to work? Some do,
0: but how many? Right. (laughs) Yeah, probably a very small percentage. Um, Yeah, it's yeah, that's really giving me something to think about about. You know, sociopathy sort of matched with this avoidant attachment style. Um, Yeah, and that, you know, I suspect that when we were still kind of in a tribal structure, you know, yes, these people were necessary, but I suspect that they probably weren't the leaders. Sometimes Um, they were them potentially yeah it, it
1: depended on the conditions that the group found themselves in mm, that's true in times of abundance true. they're not good leaders mm-hmm. in times right. of scarcity or war mm. or drought famine ice age they're the mm-hmm. people that you want to follow yeah but when things Which, are good you don't want them in, in the position of
0: power right and you know like what we were just talking about things are very good right now they're too like good. we are <laughs> we are in such an overabundance yeah um and these are the people that we still have in charge. Um, so, yeah. Because
1: our genes keep making them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're not wrong or bad. See, this is the thing. No, this is no, a huge no, no, no. part of compassion. Right. Neural mm-hmm. diversity makes for a very resilient culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Um, but unfortunately, as the only diversity that's talked about in the workplace is diversity of gender, ethnicity, and race. That's it. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. diversity of different types of uh externalities, Mm -hmm. but we don't really allow for diversity of different internalities, like types of brains. Uh, For instance, there's a company, and I forget their name, but the the job of this company is to go through the software, the code, and to Mm -hmm. debug the code of other people's products. Mm -hmm. They found out that people that are high on the autism spectrum do mm. really well at this job, and they love it. Mm.
2: Oh, how They interesting. love
1: to dig into the code, and they can sit right. with that code, focused on it intensely for 8, 10, 12 hours at a time, and they love mm. every minute of it because their brains uh, are really good at that. Not everybody hmm. on the autistic spectrum, but we right. found that right. many people with autism are brilliant at that job. And when they take people that are so-called, you know, neurally normal Mm -hmm. um, and you give them that job, oh, my God, they're bored to death. Even if they're a good coder, (laughs) they can't do it. It's like too boring. I can't just look at this code looking for problems.
0: Yeah. So
1: we need different types of brains for different types of jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, But our culture is like, no, no, everybody has to have a uniform functioning. Everybody's brain needs to function the exact same way. And that's just not reality. You're going to have people that are more sensitive, that are more mm -hmm. emotional. They're the canaries in the coal mine. And they're really good for stopping groupthink. Mm -hmm. If everybody's caught up in this, yay, groupthink, let's all be cheerleaders, the canary in the Mm -hmm. coal mine, the sensitive person is going to be like, something doesn't feel right about this. Mm -hmm. You need that person. They're vital. But that person is going to be more emotional.
2: Right
1: but they're vital to your organization. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe it's just about making sure that the right people are in the right places.
0: Yeah, that's just what I was thinking, that really we should be focusing on this instead of all these other external factors. Um, you know, and this is what should be taught in business school, um, you know, how, about attachment theory and different types of brains and some, you know... Um, neuroscience and how to, you know, how to place people in the right positions. That's what HR professionals should be trained in. You know, we have these um, tests that we give people during job interviews sometimes, and depending on what state you're in, there are different legalities around this and when you can perform these tests and whatnot. But they basically are behavior tests, and they're meant to sort of pinpoint personality types. Yeah. you know, I'm not sure how well they actually work or how well they're applied. <laughs> yeah, but mainly um, what they're used for is to try to detect people who would be um, fraud risks mm-hmm. or theft risks. Mm-hmm. That's really what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, but I th- rather than looking something... for strengths. Exactly. Yeah, they're looking for you know negative traits, um, so or things that would impact. The profit, right? Things that would negatively impact their profit.
1: Or their reputation.
0: Yes, or their reputation. Just as
1: long as we're covering our ass, that's good enough.
0: (laughs) Right, because in business, perception is everything. Everything. Um yeah, reputation is everything. It can especially now destroy a company. Yes, especially now with everything going on. Um, so, yeah, that's really important. That's that's an intangible asset. Um, it's on the balance sheet. It's worth money. Um, if you go to sell your company, there's something called goodwill that gets put on your balance sheet. Mm. And it's basically it's putting a monetary value on your company's reputation in the marketplace. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what is your
1: brand worth?
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Like Toyota, the recovery that they mm -hmm. had to do after the issue they had a few years ago. Right, right. You know, who knows how much money they spent trying to rebuild their reputation after that.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, these are the things that we should be studying in business school, teaching people in business school, teaching HR professionals. Um, This is the stuff that would really, you know, help people to have more satisfaction in the workplace, to be able to fully connect and reach their full potential. Um, and I think it might make everyone... Well, oh, you ahead.
1: used the word workplace there. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking about that. And immediately I thought a workplace, like work is something that people don't want to do.
0: And That's true. <laughs> so what if
1: it was a place of empowerment instead where you get to oh, thrive, you get to shine, yeah. you get to do something that you're really good at. Mm-hmm. You get to learn something and really knock it mm-hmm. out of the park and be supported as you do so. right. And maybe your job is to be the support person that makes mm-hmm. sure the other person knocks it out of the park, and you're really good mm-hmm. as that support person. Yeah. You know, whatever yeah. your role is, we want you to shine. We want you mm-hmm. to be empowered. Mm-hmm. And and back to the you know the testing and the neural diversity and mm-hmm. okay, this person has this type of brain; they should be in that job. Yeah. It's always up to the person what job they want to be in. Right. It's not right. about saying, okay, you have autism, so you should mm-hmm. do this kind of job, or you can only do this kind of job. It's not right. that. So yeah. It's like, well, you have an option. You may, yeah. you may want to try that job. Take a look. If mm-hmm. it appeals to you, go ahead, or we can try to get you into something else. Right. It may be a good fit. It may not.
2: Yeah.
0: I was, but I at was least just...
1: understand how your brain mm-hmm. works as you approach a position.
0: Correct. Yeah. Rather so, than,
1: well, this position simply equals money. That's it. It's it's mm-hmm. a means to an income. Yeah. Like, that's usually the only metric.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. So, no, that's okay. Um, I just had this. Uh, I I was reading uh, one of Penn Gillette's books um, a couple He's of weeks great. ago. Uh, I'm trying to think which one it was, because I've read like three of his books in a row. Ha! And I can't remember. I know. <laughs> I can't remember which one it was. Uh, I think it was um, Every Day is an Atheist Holiday. I yeah. think that was the one this, this quote comes from. But he was talking about how people get promoted to the point of their incompetence. Yeah,
1: The Peter Principle, they call it.
0: Yes, the Peter Principle. Yes, yeah. that's that was exactly it. Um, and yeah, so people get promoted to the point of their incompetence. And a lot of times people get promoted, they only take the promotion because of...
1: The monetary the benefit, yeah.
0: Right. They don't actually yeah. want it. And as yeah. a matter of fact, they actively don't want it. They're getting um, moved
1: into an area that they're no longer strong in,
2: but they yes. get paid more for it.
0: Right, exactly. And so, you know, their their heart isn't in it. You know, their skill set is not there. And, you know, it really makes them unhappy and anxious all the time, yeah. which therefore trickles down you know, to their staff and possibly the staff below them and on and on and on. Um, and then you have people in these jobs that are incompetent in the job <laughs> yeah. or barely competent. Um, you know, and people can always, people can always improve their skill set. They can always rise up, you know, if they... To a degree. To a degree, yeah, to a degree. Um, but usually it gets to the point where, you know, they really you know, whatever, intellectually, just from a skill set level, whatever, they can't take it any further. Um, And that's where they stop. And that's where they end up. Um, And they
1: end up miserable there because they're no longer thriving in that job.
0: Right. And making everybody else miserable around them. Yeah. And
1: you know, Mm -hmm. a good way to look at this is there's a a common question that's asked to demonstrate uh, social comparison and how important it is to human well-being. Mm -hmm. Which would you rather have? The smallest house in the nicest neighborhood, or the mm-hmm. nicest house in an impoverished neighborhood
0: mm-hmm.
1: or just an average neighborhood? Right. And the answer almost universally is I want the nicest house in the modest neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to have the smallest, most modest house in the big fancy neighborhood because mm-hmm. you're going to be looking at people that have more than you all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and that's essentially what happens. You get promoted into the next neighborhood, but you can only Mm -hmm. afford the cheapest house in that neighborhood. Right. So now you're working that job, but every day you're seeing people that are thriving in their position who haven't been promoted yet to a position Mm -hmm. where they're going to be dysfunctional in, um, but you're seeing people that are really good in the position that you just got moved into. Yeah. Um, And you're just like, I've got the smallest house and I'm constantly Mm -hmm. present to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Whereas just before you got promoted, maybe you had a really nice mm-hmm. house and your brain is always measuring, do I have more than everybody else? Mm-hmm. Because if I do, I'm yeah. going to feel good. Yeah. Or at least equal, as long as I have mm-hmm. equal to everybody else.
0: Uh, the other thing that happens too is that sometimes it's not just people moving up for money. Um, and I'm thinking about someone in my family. They have been with the same company for almost 15 years and they've held various positions with this company, but you know every time they get to the point where they're ready to be promoted and the company comes to them and says okay it's time for you to move up you've done everything you can do in this position that you're in yeah. you know you need to move on so we can move you know it's like
1: somebody else in
0: right right and you know in the company's eyes this is a a plus for their employees like they promote from within they're giving people the opportunity to you know improve their skill set they're you know, helping people to move from ground positions, you know, up into higher paying positions, right? The company company thinks this is a great idea. But for the people on the ground, you know, and my family member in particular, they know that they're incompetent in the next position up. They don't want to feel that way. They don't want to do that. So they keep refusing the promotion. And it gets to the point where the company says, okay, well, if you don't move up, then we're just going to fire you because you're obviously, you know, you're like gumming up the works. Um, Or because you're too expensive at that position. Mm -hmm. Right. We can't afford
1: to pay you that much for the position you're doing, even though you're doing it brilliantly. Mm -hmm. We need somebody who's less expensive in that
0: position. Right. Exactly. So yeah, it kind of it's like good intentions gone wrong again, um, you know, and so there's that pressure as well um, with these, you know, kind of related to the Peter principle. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we can't keep increasing your income unless you move into a different position.
0: Right, because we can't justify it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's tough.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not an easy solution.
0: Nope, it's not. But I think the solution really is to focus on individuals. Um, Awareness, individual
1: awareness, being aware of what you're going through, how you're Mm -hmm. impacting other people. Like, okay, something bad happened to you. Should you stay at home or should you uh, Mm -hmm. go to work? And if you go to work, how much of it do you bring? Do you bring the story or do you just bring the emotion?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Because if
1: you bring the emotion, chances are you're going to be able to process it because we're socially contagious. Mm -hmm. If other people are in a good mood, chances are in time that'll eventually rub off, just like uh, Mm -hmm. entropy. Everything tends towards equilibrium. If one person is high and one person is low, eventually you're going to see this happening. And they may not Mm -hmm. come to equilibrium, but you're going to see this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you bring the story and you just keep grinding on the story... The emotions are going to be fueled, and now that's going to be contagious.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I'll I'll share a personal story if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah,
2: great, <laughs> please.
0: So um, the other day, I woke up and I was having an absolute awful morning. Perfect. Um, I've been having an issue with trolls on my channel lately, and I woke up to some really vile nasty comments. Oh, wow. And um, I was already in kind of, you know, not a great place emotionally. Um, I'm sitting having my morning coffee and, you know, I'm kind of blocking these people and deleting their comments and... Um, just thinking about, okay, you know, I'm I'm already kind of running behind this morning, so I need to rush and hurry up and get ready for work, and I know traffic is gonna be bad. And you know, I was kind of projecting out, um, you know, tra- I know traffic's gonna be bad, and you know, I know that I've got this horribly busy day at work, and I know it's gonna be really stressful, and you know, I know I'm gonna have a problem with this particular employee, and I know my boss is gonna be, you know, kind of like on my case. And, you know, I just kind of, like, projected out this whole super negative day, right, yeah, based on yeah. how I was feeling and what had happened to me in the morning. Um, so I'm like, okay, you know, I should just call in sick today. I should just call in sick because, mm. you know, I don't want to go to work feeling like this. I know it's going to be an awful day, and I can't really be a professional at work today because I feel like I'm going to cry any minute yeah. So I'm human you know, today. Right. Yeah. Like I'm really human today and I'm not able to shove it in the box. And yeah. so, you know, I, I just need to I need to sequester myself from the public. <laughs>
2: you know? Yeah. Make
0: sure that no one sees this. Like this is my private little secret. Yeah. Um but I didn't. I actually got ready and I went to work Good and traffic wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I listened to, you know, some music in the car and got to work. I was still feeling really emotional and I had a really early meeting with one of my employees. So I got my coffee and we went into the conference room and we sat down and I looked at her and I just started crying. And she was obviously shocked um, because that's not something I've ever done in front of my employees before. Yeah. And I've been there for a few couple of years. Um, but she sat there and she's like, you know, are you okay? You know, do you, do you need to talk? And I'm like, you know, I'm just having, I said, I'm just having a really bad morning and, you know, I'm just really emotional and I've had a lot going on and, you know, I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. You know, she goes, I'll just start first with my list oh. and I'll, I'll just talk and maybe that'll help distract you a little bit and give you a few minutes to kind of, you know, get it together. And um, she was just so compassionate and so sweet. And while it shocked her initially, she didn't let it phase her and she allowed me to be human in that moment. And it was really beautiful. Like, I'm starting to cry now thinking about it. <laughs> Like, it was just beautiful. It was a beautiful moment between the two of us. And, you know, I, you know, kind of got it together and we went on with our meeting, you know, and I was still not feeling great when the meeting was over. But, you know, I felt like I had had a little bit of a release, went back to my desk. You know, I was working. And by the time lunch rolled around, you know, I, I was feeling, you know, better. I had gotten some things done at work and, you know, people at work are pretty cheerful most of the time. And at lunch, uh, this employee came over to me, and she, like, very quietly just said, you know, are you doing okay? Are are you okay? You know, are you feeling a little better? And, you know, I said, yeah, I am. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And she goes, okay, good. Well, you know, you let me know if you need anything. And, you know, previously in my life, that would have made me feel awful because— I would have considered it my job to take care of her because I was her supervisor. You know, I was supposed to be the strong one. I'm supposed to be the caretaker, the one who looks over everybody else. You know, I'm Mm. the rock. And, but I'm learning, you know, that it's okay to be human with people and that we take care of each other. That, you know, sometimes I'm the strong one and sometimes somebody else is. Um, And that's okay. It's that give and take, you know, that that current between us all um that emotional current but
1: before you go further you said Mm -hmm. sometimes i'm the strong one sometimes Mm -hmm. i'm not so Mm -hmm. what does that mean is crying not strength can Um, one not be strong and cry (laughs) at the same time
0: (laughs) so (laughs) yeah so okay so there you're you're poking my uh, preconceived (laughs) Maybe maybe
1: there's a little narrative there about (laughs) what strength is. That strength is about not crying. Strength is about not showing emotion.
0: Yeah, there's actually a very strong narrative there based on a lot of things that happened in my childhood with my family. Um, So yeah, you're right. Um, I do have that narrative. And I do consider myself crying to be me kind of losing my
1: composure yeah losing my strength, composure your a little edge. bit
0: yeah so um yeah okay now i have something more to think about <laughs>
1: losing control
0: perhaps yes yeah that's a big thing for me yeah for sure um so this it was just it was kind of cool you know what happened that day and then by the end of the day i was feeling a lot better Um, And I was glad that I had gone to work and I was glad that I had this moment with my employee because I felt like it helped us to be human with each other and Mm -hmm. kind of drop that whole, you know, role thing that we have going on at work. Um, And, yeah, it was it was actually a good thing. So, you know, you you can take your emotion into the workplace and have it turn into a positive experience. Well,
1: you do um, take your emotion into the workplace. Yes,
0: you do take them. <laughs> Whether you them. <laughs> show it or not,
1: but you do take them.
0: Yes. So I guess the better thing would be you can show your emotions mm-hmm. in the workplace and it can be a positive experience and it can even possibly make your team stronger. Yeah. Um, and, you know, allow your employees to see you as a human being and to you know, connect with you on a deeper level and to, you know, have more respect for you or to feel safer with you. Because if I can do that in front of her, that means that she can do it in front of me. Um, and so I think it was, it was really, um, it was really a great teaching learning experience for me. Um, and, you know, kind of showed me that you, you know, there is a way to, to have both at
1: work well yeah and going back to attachment style and the caregiver supervisor or parent Mm -hmm. if you model for a child or an employee or someone that you are in charge of if you model a healthy moving through of an emotional state
2: Mm -hmm.
1: then you show them how to do that as well Mm -hmm. so if a parent pretends that they have no emotions except happiness, love and bliss, like, oh, sweetie, I love you. And that's all they ever give the child. The moment something happens that the parent cannot control out in the world and the child witnesses them being angry or upset or crying, the child doesn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. It's like the story of the Buddha. Um, He was a prince and his father, the king, built Mm -hmm. this enclosure around him and he didn't allow anybody that was old, anybody that was sick, anybody that was ugly. So as the Buddha Mm -hmm. grew up, he only saw young, healthy, happy people because the father Mm -hmm. never wanted him to see any kind of dysfunction or deformity or anything negative. Mm-hmm. and it wasn't until he escaped that he realized oh my god there's such a thing as old people i didn't know they existed
2: mm-hmm.
1: so mm-hmm. it's kind of like that if the if you pretend mm-hmm. to always have it under control and you're always happy you're not helping your child or your employee or your charge mm-hmm. to develop strength because strength requires that you can handle any emotion any situation any type mm-hmm. of um calamity that may approach you. But if you only learn how to deal with love and happiness, well, the world is not full of love and happiness. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. you're, yeah, you're not
1: going to be well set up <laughs> for the actual world. And you're going to be very needy. Like I need other people to make me feel good right. because I don't know what to do with this. It was never modeled right. for me. Mm-hmm. So if you model that experience, like, Hey, I'm crying, but you don't go into mm-hmm. a narrative about it. It's like, yeah, I'm crying. The, the wave is rising. And then the tears are gone and the wave goes away mm-hmm. and your employee watches you just go through mm-hmm. an emotional experience, but without having this, ne- this narrative that just makes her day awful too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I think it, it builds strength to model mm-hmm. going through an emotional experience and coming out the other side like, okay,
2: mm-hmm. all right,
1: here we are. Yeah, yeah. I just had some anger. Great. I just had some sadness. Great. Here we are mm-hmm. now. It's a new moment.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know let yourself feel it and then let it fall yeah um if we had more of that in the workplace you know if we allowed each other to be vulnerable uh and that's another thing you know there's so much Mm -hmm. politicking in the workplace yes you know and and people say oh you need to leave your emotions at home but what is politicking yeah. <laughs> really? You know, how can you have politics without some sort of narrative going on about how you're going to get yours and their scarcity and I need to make that person mm-hmm. look bad or make myself look good or, or sneak in here when nobody's noticing?
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: all narrative that's driven by fear and anxiety and insecurity. I don't know. We're leaving our emotions at home. There's no politics in this office. <laughs> nope. Didn't you see the sign of the door? No politics.
0: Right. Yeah. Massive amounts of denial. Massive amounts of denial.
1: Yeah. The whole thing is built on denial. Mm -hmm. And really what they're denying is humanity. You're denying the fact Mm -hmm. that you are a human being.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we spend the majority of our time. The majority of our life is spent at work.
1: With people that we Um, are walled up around. Not in every case. Not in every case, but in many cases.
0: Yeah, we've got to find a a better way to
1: do this. Well, for the people that are challenged, if you've got somebody that's Mm -hmm. an extrovert who is a secure attacher, chances Mm -hmm. are they're going to love their job and they're going to love the people they work with. Yeah, Because their brain models the world as very positive and full of interesting people to interact with. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you're an introvert or you're highly sensitive or you're shy Mm -hmm. or you have an anxious or avoidant attachment style, work is going to be challenging Mm -hmm. for you.
0: Yeah, And yeah.
1: if your boss happens mm-hmm. to be the same, work is going to be really challenging for you. Mm-hmm. So it's really about dealing. We don't need to help the people with secure attachment who are extroverted. <laughs> they, they don't need it. Just let them do what they're doing.
0: <laughs> right. Do you <sighs> think? But
1: it's everybody else, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and a lot of that responsibility comes to you as an individual. And that's why I have my right. channel. Uh Right. My channel is all about, okay, you're not going to get this education out in the world. You're not going to get this education in Mm -hmm. the workplace. You probably didn't get it from your parents or from your faith organization. So Mm -hmm. here it is. Uh, These are some things you can try on. These are some things that I'm going to model for you. And Mm -hmm. hopefully you can take that with you as you go and maybe spread those seeds. Mm -hmm. So. So Grace, do you have any closing comments? This has been a, a fun conversation. Yeah, um, a it lot, has been. lots coming up. Anything that's really kind of been begging to come forth? Or are you good?
0: <laughs> no, I think I think we covered a lot, um, and yeah, I think this is still. I think there's still even more to talk about. This is still an yes. ongoing conversation. Yeah. So I'm very interested to see um, and what your listeners and my listeners have to say about this. And um, just to see what, what other tangents we can go off on yeah. in this conversation, um, because I think it's a really important one, and it's one that should happen more than once. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and also I just want so yeah thanks.
1: I want to say as a disclaimer mm-hmm. before we close off that sometimes it's mm-hmm. really easy to be loose with language and to generalize a bit mm-hmm. or to make it seem simpler than it actually is. Mm-hmm. And things are complex. So yes. just because you or I might have said something loosely at any particular moment, mm-hmm. it, that doesn't mean that that's the end-all, be-all or that the conversation mm-hmm. is closed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I consider all of this to be an open loop uh, to be expanded mm-hmm. on. And I hope that there are lots of tangents that arise. And if somebody is offended or upset, fantastic. That's a new conversation. Right. That's a new thing <laughs> exactly. to unpack. Great. <laughs> let's let's talk about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm definitely talking from my own experience here, yeah. um, because that's all that I can do. And, you know, while I have been to business school, I do have advanced degrees. And, you know, I've I've had a lot of experience out in that world. Um, you know, it, this is all just my own personal perspective. I'm here as an individual, not... Yeah as some business expert yeah. representing any organization or, you know, institution. Um, so I'm just happy that we could have this conversation and, and, you know, get it started. So thanks so much for having me on. You I really appreciate it. You are very
1: welcome. It's been my pleasure
0: all right well thanks for listening everyone i hope you really enjoyed that conversation with tim Um, it was so much fun and i think there's a lot to talk about here still so let me know what you think down in the comments below and let's just keep the conversation going and be sure to check out tim's channel running raw Um, he has some amazing content over there and i'll go ahead and link that down below and i hope you all have a great day bye